Well, Faith Church family, I, I know you guys are not my priest in the sense that I'm going to confess to you this morning, but I do want to confess. I want to confess um, a character defect growing up that took away significant meaning and purpose in my life as a teen. Um, growing up, I was not a servant, and as a result, I missed out on some significant life lessons. I missed out on opportunities to fulfill God's creation mandate of taking dominion over the earth and harnessing God's given resources and structuring them for the prospering of humanity. You can say, Brent, that's a mouthful for a teenager, but uh, let, me, let me narrow that down into a specific area that as I look back over my life that I think that uh, I could have done quite a bit better. I believe the area in which my lack of being a servant showed the most was in relationship to my dad and his business. He was a pharmacist. This month, um, in August, marks the ninth year since my dad's death. Here are two pictures of my dad. The first one, that was when he was in his uh, studly prime in his, in his uh, business. He is answering never-ending phone calls at his pharmacy, taking prescription orders there. The second one is a picture of my dad in his more seasoned years of life. Forty-five years ago, this very month, so I was just looking through the history and I found out, or I remembered, that my dad bought his business 45 years ago in August in 1978. I was 10 years old at the time. And uh, Earl Drug is the business that he purchased. You can see that first picture there is quite old. If you look at the cars in that picture, I don't know when that precisely was, but that's probably 1950s. Earl Drug was a community fixture in southwest Oklahoma. Uh, the building on the left burnt down at one point, and the building on the right took its place on the same corner of 4th Street and C Avenue in Lawton, Oklahoma. I can still remember the address of this particular building. It was a staple in my life for quite a while. When I was preparing my dad's funeral nine years ago, I heard from all kinds of people of how my dad served the community through Earl Drug. I realized how impactful my dad had been on others. I certainly didn't realize all of that as a teen. I was busy about my own things and not really concerned about my dad and his goals and mission. As I was beginning to prepare and as that prepared for my dad's funeral, I realized, painfully so, how I squandered many opportunities to serve my dad in his mission. You see, the gospel had been working in my dad to create a heart for taking care of people in need. Earl Drug had a reputation for great customer care. Um, in those days, there were independent pharmacies. There was not mass chain pharmacies, and eventually my dad sold his business to a great, a bigger chain later on in his life. Dad was never the same. He was always regretful after that time that he could not provide the same kind of customer care that he had longed to and he had built Earl Drug into a reputation for. Earl Drug so had that reputation of great customer care. They also had a reputation for some of the best burgers and soda fountain drinks in town. However, Dad was not content in serving people burgers and the best cherry limeades. Discouraged with what he observed among the patient care of ostomy and colostomy patients, he transformed Earl Drug into a leader in home health care products at that time. 
Ostomy and colostomy surgeries left individuals vulnerable and almost hopeless with part of their intestines hanging out of their bodies, and he wanted to help return some of their dignity. So he transformed the back end of the store from a hamburger joint into a place where he could personally coach those patients in dealing with their conditions and provide them with much-needed products. Earl Drug was the first of its kind in that particular area in southwest Oklahoma. He also led the pharmaceutical stores in southwest Oklahoma to implement computerized systems. I I know this is just so common for us today. We don't even think about it that um, at one point in time there were no computers. (laughs) Some of you don't remember those times. But um, I can remember the first computer that my dad had. It was the size of a washing machine in that store. Dad spent hours troubleshooting that thing. (laughs) You think we have technology problems today, not anything like my dad had. And here's where my confession comes in. From the moment I could drive, I worked five days a week after school from about three to seven every day in Earl Drug. And I worked all day on Saturday. I was my dad's delivery boy and and his stock boy. I certainly did my delivery and stock boy job um, faithfully, but I certainly did not take an interest in asking my dad about how I could help him with his healthcare business. I was always pretty good with computers, math and tech stuff, the limited amount of tech stuff that existed back then, but I did not ask my dad how I could learn how that that computer system worked and helped him to troubleshoot that thing. I did not ask my dad how I could come alongside of him and to learn all the aspects of the business to help him accomplish his larger mission. After punching the clock with my dad, three to seven every day and Saturdays all day, I I was consumed with video games, which served only myself. When I learned how influential my dad was, I thought of the business ministry that Faith Church has entrusted me with, Faith Bible Seminary. I wish I had learned from my dad some finance, some accounting, management, marketing, customer care lessons uh, much earlier. You know, managing Faith Bible Seminary on behalf of the church, I'm so thankful for the many volunteers who did not function as Brent did with his dad, but you function in this way. You come alongside, you aid, you support, and you simply serve to help the accomplishment of the larger mission of Faith Bible Seminary and things like Faith Church. You know, for Faith Bible Seminary, I think of James and Connie Thomas who manage all the seminary housing, furnishing and cleaning, and how important that is. I think of Brian and Jocelyn Wallace who come alongside me to handle the details of the seminary banquet when it comes up around December. And there are a host of other servants. Thomas Howard, in his book, and I've quoted this before, in his book, The Night Far Spent, states the following. The choreography of heaven is my life for yours, okay? The choreography of heaven, say this with me, my life for yours, say it, my life for yours. Let that sink in for just a moment. The principle of heaven, the DNA of heaven is my life for yours. God himself and the conscious beings that he created are to operate by that principle, My life for yours, my time for you, my strength for you, my resources for you. And when we operate that day, there is a beautiful 
dance. And you may say, does that include God himself? Well, the choreography of heaven, the way that heaven is structured, the way that God's character is, yes, it includes God himself. The overall disposition of heaven where God dwells is marshalling the resources of heaven to serve humanity. You may say, Brent, I'm not sure about that. Heaven's resources exist to serve mankind. Yes, in one sense, and hang on to that. We're going to get to it at the end of the sermon and tie it up. But in my teen years, I certainly did not understand the choreography of heaven. I manifested ultimately the choreography of hell, my life for me and my video games. Living that way leads you to a lonely, isolated position at the top of your kingdom of one. If in my teen years I would have offered more of my life for the sake of my dad, being a servant to him, I could have actually helped him achieve possibly even greater things than he did for the benefit of those that he was serving. With that in mind, please turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which is on page 126 in the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. This summer we've been talking about hope for fruitful service. The first part of the summer we have focused on fruitful character as taking each one of those characteristics in 2 Peter 1 through 1, 5 through 7 and developing them. Now we've pivoted in the second half of the summer into a discussion of the spiritual gifts. This morning we're talking about finding hope in the spiritual gift of serving. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, let's start in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Context-wise, the Apostle Paul has been um, explaining the beautiful choreography of heaven, of where Christ came down and gave his life in the gospel, the good news, in view of God's mercies, here is what you are to do now. Present your bodies. Heaven has presented its life for you. Now what do you do? To present your body as a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, my life for you, God. As we do that, don't be conformed to this world which says, my life for me, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, Paul, I say to everyone, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Stop thinking about my life for me as if the world and its resources exist to serve you. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. My life for you and the body of Christ. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith... If serving in his serving, that's what we're talking about this morning. He who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We'll be responding this morning to two questions in the message today. What is the gift of serving? Question number one and question number two, what transforms us 
into this kind of a servant? Let's start with the first question right here. What is the gift of serving? Well, start with the meaning of the term, the meaning of the term diakonia, rendering of, listen to this, specific assistance. That's what I didn't do with my dad. Now, I punched the clock. I punched the clock. Going beyond that, Dad, how can I help you? I didn't do that. Rendering of specific assistance, aid, support, and administrative function, service as attendant, aid, or assistant. All of that may sound boring to you, but think about how needed are assistance in life. Wouldn't it be great for somebody to come along and help you in particular? Wouldn't it have been great if I would have come along and learned my dad's business to help him accomplish his mission? The term diakonia. What does that sound like, Faith Church? Diakonia. What does that sound like that you've heard in English? Diakonia. What does it sound like, Joe? It sounds like deacon. Chairman of the deacons right over there. Congratulations, you win the prize. (laughs) The office of deacon is built around this term, service, serving, rendering specific assistance to others, namely the body of Christ, and we have such great servants in our deacons around here that we could not accomplish the greater mission of Faith Church without helpful assistance coming alongside. Also, I want to mention this. Many scholars understand that the gift of helps. Okay, this is not the same word, but many Bible scholars think that the gift of helps is also referring to this same gift. In 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight, that gift is mentioned. God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles in the gift of healings, and then helps. So many think that word helps refers to the same concept. Now, the word diakonia is so common in the New Testament, and I'm going to pull out just a few examples to kind of illustrate maybe what we're talking about here. So the examples, and let's start here with the origin of the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. Context, some of the poorer and racially different widows in the church were being overlooked in the, distribu- in the distribution of food. So the 12 apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to, and there's our word, to serve. There was a need in the body of Christ as the church was growing in the initial stages of the early church. Um, Anything new is exciting until there's problems that come, and there were problems that were coming. So the church had some needs, and the twelve began to um, solve the need. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry. There's another where the ministry term there means also service. It's the same Greek word. But the state, this statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose these seven men. This passage is where the office of deacon or servant, an official office of the church, finds its origin. So what are deacons? Men who render assistance to the body of Christ. A second example, and all of the following examples are going to be related to the Apostle Paul and those who are actually serving him, 
But a second example is in Acts 19, verse 22. After all these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia. And after having been there, and after I having been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered, there is our word, diakonia, minister or served him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Timothy and Erastus, if we kind of look out through those names throughout the New Testament, throughout scriptures, are seen to be Paul's assistants through whom Paul can count on and trust to render aid to himself and as a result fulfill the mission of Paul that he had to the larger body of Christ. A third example with Paul, in Philemon 10 through 13, Paul says this, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you. (laughs) How would you like that statement to be? This would be said of Brent. Brent was useless to his dad in some ways as a teen. But Onesimus, this slave of Philemon, who had escaped and found himself in Rome and somehow in in the sphere of Paul, Paul led him to the Lord and Onesimus was useless to his master first, but now is useful to both you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person. That is, this is a fascinating statement. I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I'm sending you my very own heart, whom I wish to keep with me. He was so valuable to me now that I wished to keep him with me, but I'm sending my heart to you so that... So that on your behalf, he might, there's our word, serve, minister to me in my imprisonment of the gospel. So the slave, Onesimus, who ran away from his owner, encountered the apostle Paul in prison and was saved. Onesimus trained as a slave and servant for his master. I can't prove this, but may have been imparted that spiritual gift of service to now employ for a greater purpose. Useful to Paul and his apostolic ministry, and will be useful to his former master as well. He is Paul's very own heart. My life for yours. Onesimus was now useful to Paul. A fourth example, this is also with Paul. Apparently Paul was very needy of assistance. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren... You know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have, they have devoted themselves for service. There's our word to the saints. That you also be in subject, subjection to such men and to everyone who helps. Notice, it's not the same word, but who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, and they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Acknowledge these men. Acknowledge them who are working behind the scenes, who are coming alongside, rendering assistance. Let's make a few general observations here about, in general, service and those who impart Service. The gift of serving involves the following, it would seem. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this in regard to I know this is what it all is, 
But let's just kind of make a few observations here. The gift of serving may involve the following. Supporting others in the church. Behind the scenes often to promote the effective accomplishment of the church's mission. And it's an inclination to regularly meet various needs, often very tangible, physical needs. Um, and it's a, for those individuals a satisfaction to work behind the scenes without accolades and personal gain. As you think about the faith church body, I'm looking out at the faith church body this morning. Do certain people come to your mind when you think about those? Of course they do. Now here's the question. Are you acknowledging those individuals? Paul said, acknowledge such as these. Come alongside and render assistance. And they're not thinking about their personal gain in all of this. You say, but Brent, they're just serving behind the scenes. Yes, but Paul also said this. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem, seem to be weaker or less important, are necessary. And those members of the bodies, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Working behind the scenes, coming alongside, rendering assistance. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. They're always out in the front. Why do we need to acknowledge them as much? But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. On these that seem to just work behind the scenes, we are to bestow more abundant honor? Absolutely, Paul says. Why? This is the beautiful choreography of heaven. There it is. My life for yours, coming alongside, helping. That's a picture of heaven. Now let's broaden this out just a bit. The word diakonia is so common in the New Testament. It is a very general word. The same word is used for the entire body of Christ using their gifting. Whether you specifically have something called a gift of serving itself. Peter says this, each one of us has received a special gift. Employ it in this serving. Okay? My life for yours. Doesn't matter what gift you have. Serving. Whatever gift you have. So you cannot say here, I don't have the gift of serving, so this sermon doesn't apply to me. That's not the case at all. Every believer that God has gifted, and who is that? Every believer that God has gifted, say everyone. Everyone. Every believer that God has gifted is to engage in using their gifts to edify and serve others. My life for you. If you are born again from heaven, and I'm using that term very specifically, born again from heaven, then you should dance the choreography of heaven, my life, my giftedness for you. You say, Brent, that's not natural, and I understand. As a teen, as a teen, I grew up thinking my life for me, that was my disposition. And I missed out on so much. If you say this is not natural, this is not the way the world works, I say you're exactly right. 
But now being born from heaven means you are no longer of this world. So let's ask the second question here. What power? What power transforms us ultimately into servants? Turn, if you will, now to a second passage, Luke chapter 22, verses 15 through 29. Luke chapter 22, verses 15 through 29. That is on page 66 of the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. This passage of Scripture occurs on the night before Jesus' death. About two years ago, we went through the book of John. And the passage we studied was John 13, where Jesus came to the forefront and he washed the disciples' feet. On the night before Jesus' death, he was demonstrating something. He was preparing for the cross, and the cross is where we see the ultimate choreography of heaven. In this passage, the term servant or serving, our word diakonia, occurs three times. This is the dance, this is the choreography of heaven manifested in our Savior. So look at Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he, Jesus, said to them the following, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat again this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pause right there. So here is Jesus from heaven, the resources of heaven, saying, My body is broken for you. There it is. My life for yours. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out. Resources of heaven come down and being poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. After this verse... Jesus says that one of the disciples will betray him, and the disciples start arguing over who that could be. Jump down to verse 24. And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as to the greatest, be the greatest. Right there is the concept of the choreography of hell, my life for me. Jesus said to him, The kings of the Gentiles, you guys know this, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. That's an ironic term. What is a benefactor? Normally, a benefactor is somebody who benefits you, right? A benefactor. They they benefit you. And he's equating these benefactors as those who lord it over people. In that time, Um, The term was used of those who were in high positions, the elite of the world, like princes and tyrants. And in an ironic sense, the elite should be there to provide benefit for the people. But they actually existed or function in a way to oppress the people and serve themselves. So the word benefactor is used in an ironic sense here. They weren't really benefiting the people at all. Verse 26 It's not this way with you. 
But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like, there's our word, servants. Jesus continues to describe what happens in the world. Verse 27, in the world, for who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? There's our word for a second time. The world's answer is this. Of course, the one who is reclining at the table, enjoying the feast, is greater. Okay. So being served, that means you are greater if you are the one that is being served. You're the greater one, lining, lying down at the table, eating the feast. Christ acknowledges that this is the way of the world when he says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, okay, now, now catch this, I, where did Christ came from? Where did he come from? Say heaven. He was greater. But I, who am greater, has come down from heaven. And I am among you as the one who serves. Here it is. The choreography of heaven. And you are those who stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my royal table in the kingdom someday. Let's look briefly here at three ways that the resources of heaven, Jesus, have become the servant of mankind. And, and in, in that, transforming us into servants and accomplishing the greater mission of God. The first way is this, the resource of heaven. The resource of heaven, Jesus, creates a new community of servants, a new covenant family. There's an insight that is easy to miss in the disciples' celebration here of the Passover meal with Jesus. This is fairly logical if you think about it. On holidays, church family, who do you spend holidays with? Tell me that. On holidays, Christmas, Easter. On holidays, who do you spend your holidays with? Your family. The Jewish holiday of Passover meal was no different. From the time the Passover meal was established, it was to be celebrated in family units. And in this case, Jesus Christ, on the night before, on the night before his crucifixion, he was pulling this, the disciples away from their families. I got this insight as Tim Keller was preaching on this particular passage. You know, we have no record in Scripture of any of the disciples' spouses being present. Okay? Just consider that for just a moment. Consider all the um, fascinating pieces of masterpiece of art regarding the Lord's table. Do you ever see a disciple distracted by trying to get his child um, to eat bitter herbs? Do you ever see that in any of the paintings of the Last Supper? Do you, say that? Do you see that? Say no. <laughs> What's the significance of this? When Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, and this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, and I have granted that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. This is astounding. What is all of this indicating? Christ is creating a new family, a new family. He is setting up a new type of people. Here it is. The majestic, glorious, royal God has invited us into his family, into his kingdom. And he was picturing that you here on this holiday are with me as my new family. 
Imagine for just a moment being invited into the most majestic, kingly family of all time that we can imagine on this earth. Many of us could never imagine being invited into the White House family, or many of us can never be imagined being invited to the British royal family and dining with them at Buckingham Palace. Royal majesty, the elites, don't come and invite the lowly into their family. The benefactors lord it over the peasants. That's the way of the world. They don't invite them to dine at the family meal. They require the lowly servants to serve the family meal. But here's the beauty of this. Heaven came down to earth and said, dine with me. And you're my new family. With these 12 uneducated, untrained disciples, the creator of the universe said, you are my family now. Dine with me. Oh my goodness. How is that so astounding? Furthermore, when you become part of a family, when you are part of a family, what tends to happen to you? You tend to take on the characteristics of the family. I don't know how many times since my son has become on staff here. So my Joshua Oakwin um, is uh, my son. And um, so he came on staff. And I don't know how many times where a church member has come up and they have, they have seen me minister over the course of, I've been here about 26 years, and now they're seeing my son they will say things like this, I can see you in Joshua, or I can see Josh's characteristics, they're, they're similar to yours, Brent, or my daughter who works at our seminary and counseling center as well. I see characteristics of Karis in um, Janet and um, in both of us. When you part of a family, you tend to take on the characteristics of the family. When this heavenly resource, Jesus, is understood... And he comes into your life in the way that he does. And he gives you a unique experience compared to the way that the world operates. If you understand what he has done, if you see that he has danced the choreography of heaven and you have experienced it, it changes everything. And if you're part of his family, that difference that you've experienced with him now changes you and binds you together as a family into a unique family that is different and what is it that this bond creates in the family, that shared bond, a, a mindset? Here it is. The resource of heaven molds a new mindset of service. My life for yours. Another interesting observation about the Passover meal that Jesus Christ and his disciples were, reflect, were taking that night the Passover meal in Jewish history always featured as a part of its main course the Passover lamb, the shank of a lamb, the shank bone of a lamb. Why is that? Well, those of you who know Scripture, and it's okay if you don't. If you're just new to Scripture, it's okay. Let me try to explain a little bit about the Passover meal. If you remember in the book of Exodus, a lamb had to be slaughtered and its blood placed on the door of the house. That was so that the death angel that God was sending was passing over the family and not kill the firstborn of the family. That was on a night when God was moving against his people's oppressors to rescue them from the Egyptian slavery. If you wanted to be saved that night, 
Egyptian or Jew, race did not matter. Egyptian or Jew, you had to take shelter under the blood of the Passover lamb. All of that was to be a picture. And that was immortalized in the Passover feasts. Now Jesus has mentioned the bread. Jesus has mentioned the wine. Here's the question for you, faith church family. Where's the lamb? Where's the main course? Tell me, where is the main course? Standing right in front of them. He was the main course. But he reaches for the bread to illustrate and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he reaches for the cup of wine and the cup which is poured out for you. In order to make you into this new covenant family that will have a different way of life, a different world, Jesus comes down from heaven and says, I go first. I dance the dance first. And in this way, the glory of heaven, the prime resource of heaven, has come down to come alongside of humanity. The resources of heaven come down to serve humanity, to serve you and to meet your greatest need. Jesus Christ was truly the benefactor in its truest sense, not in its ironic sense. He says, I am your servant. And in doing that... The resource of heaven, Jesus, transforms the glory of service. It is I, the one who is greater, that has come down from heaven. I am among you as the one who serves. Friends, when you think about it, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Is it his majestic, brilliant splendor, glowing light? Is it his wisdom to know all things? Is it his power to control all things and do miracles? Is it his ability to spin galaxies in his hands? All of that certainly is glorious. But the greatest glory is this. Jesus Christ who serves. Jesus Christ who is heaven's resource that has come down to man. And let me say it in this way. To be your assistant. It's not a lowly position because you needed an assistant to solve your greatest problem, alienation from God because of our sin. And Jesus Christ did not simply come and say, hey, you are pardoned. You may go. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. He says, not that you can just go and you're pardoned, but you're pardoned and you can come into my family. My life for yours. And that has exchanged many things. His humiliation for your exaltation. His aloneness on the cross for you to be part of a community to never be alone. His being crushed so that you could be made whole. His being a man of sorrow so that you could have eternal joy. His righteousness for your sin. His service and assisting of His people has healed those who trust in Him. This service, this is glory, this is love. Transforming God's people into a different kind of a people. A counter-cultural community that values and exalts and lives out service. Assisting others, 
my life for you. And that kind of community brings hope to this world. Now, Faith Church family, I could preach more in describing the gift of service and how we're all supposed to be like that. However, let me just simply incarnate this for just a moment. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, when you think about serving, you have, your mind goes to so many different people around here at Faith Church. Let me just highlight one in particular. I have asked Mike and Kim Stefanik um, to come out of the back limelight into a spotlight and give their testimony on servant. And here it is. Good morning. Psalm 102a says, To serve the Lord with gladness. I am Mike Stefanik. I am Kim Stefanik. And we want to share with you this morning about our passion for serving others. I serve as a deacon and lead the men's prayer breakfast cooking team when Men of Faith takes place at the North End Community Center. I serve in the mentor ministry and the nursery, and together we serve hospitality dinners at the Viers. Which is also part dinner for us, too, at the Viers. We also serve at Faith West VBS coordinators, Living Nativity Servants refreshment team, and the Children's Sunday School at 930. A lot of what we do is serving behind the scenes to facilitate the overarching ministry goals of the church's evangelism and discipleship. For example, cooking for the Men of Faith breakfast enables me to make sure that the men have a full stomach so that they can then settle in for the greater spiritual feast of learning how to be God's kind of man. Another example, for many of the frontline servants to share the gospel with the kids during BBS, someone has to do all the behind-the-scenes coordination. We enjoy doing that. When we help with the hospitality dinners at the Viers, we serve with the preparation and cleanup of the meals in hopes that others may focus on building significant relationships. We are okay most of the time serving behind the scenes without being noticed, but Pastor Oakland noticed us and asked us to now be in the spotlight speaking to you about the gift of service. On the day that each of us came to know Christ, God did not send down from heaven a spiritual birth certificate with our names on it and a label that said, Kim and Mike have the spiritual gift of service. The more we heard, study God's word, and attempted to grow in Christ's likeness, we simply gravitated to more and more service out of obedience. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Before Christ, I was always more interested in what others could do for me. I was definitely serving, but only myself. This hard attitude can still happen, so we need to stay on guard. I was an only child and by nature very self-centered. I need to be super mindful that all gifts come from God, and I am to steward them for His glory and not mine. As we began serving, it was wherever there was a need. We especially enjoyed serving together as husband and wife. It helps us grow together in Christ. Together as we face the needs, we seek to rely on God, and together our trust in Him grows. The many service opportunities drive us to spend time in prayer together, asking how we can better meet needs. And there are always so many opportunities to praise the Lord, and together we seek to be thankful for the fruit we see. This brings our heart closer to Him. Even though we serve a lot behind the scenes, Serving helps build community. We make friends and get to know folks we would not have another opportunity to otherwise. It is an honor, privilege, and humbling to see God's people come together. We are just two of many servants. We have always appreciated that about faith, something not to take for granted. As we serve, we learn to put others first and love through actions, not just words. This is the way that Christ has modeled. 
Serving helps us grow in love, humility, and faithfulness in the Spirit. It brings great joy to our lives, and hopefully that is reflected in how we serve. We have come to know the heart of Christ better as we serve the needs of others. Adopting his mindset, the least shall be the greatest, and the greatest of you shall be your servant. And John 3.30 says, He must increase, I must decrease. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' service cost his life. I believe we're getting off easy. Doing his will for his glory brings a great satisfaction of knowing it pleases him. I'm so thankful for folks and so many folks like Mike and Kim Stefanik here at Faith Church. It's our job to acknowledge such as these and then emulate them as well. My dad sought to give his life in his particular way, um, serving others in his role as a pharmacist. As a teen, if I had done that for my dad, my life for yours, dad, I would have helped him to achieve his mission. I would have come alongside of him as an assistant and help him achieve his mission in a greater way and live out more significant purpose in my life than just playing video games as a teen. Imagine a family of servants who all have this dance, my life for yours. How edifying that would be. And it's true to a great degree here at Faith Church and how impactful that would be to the community to accomplish the glory of God and elevating what truly is glorious, coming alongside one another in serving them, assisting them. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have designed this world in such a way the choreography of your abode, your home, is the giving of life-giving resources for the benefit of others. Thank you, Father. You have imparted your life to us, and you have come and redeemed our life through Jesus Christ. Father, made it out of the overwhelming um, beauty of that kind of dance and choreography that transforms our life, will you help us to do that for one another? In Jesus' name, amen.